really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. Who is this guy, you wonder? Well, that's an easy one. I remain David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan. I follow the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. Uh, if you would like to get in touch, well, frankly, I'd love to hear from you, so please do so. It's, it's surprisingly rare to actually get any messages, so step it up, y'all. Anyway, I'm on Twitter, at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram, at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And if you can bring yourself to leave me a positive review, you know, that, that would just be great. I, I've been behind the eight ball ever since getting an anonymous one-star review. So if you could help me, you know, grow the pod a little bit, this will do it. So, and by the way, it's free, which is something that I very much appreciate these days. So as always, we start with current updates, which is just little notes from my own life and... So last week, so I told you guys how, how my son has been enjoying my my lame Aussie accent and uh, my running commentary in my fake Aussie accent. And I have to say, it paid off hilariously this weekend. So <laughs> the thing he usually does, whenever I'm watching a match and he sort of wanders in, he'll come in and go, oh, uh, and he'll look at the scores and the teams and he'll go, uh, who are you running for? And... I'll tell him who I am. And he then he looks and sees who's ahead and says, I'm rooting for that team. And it's always the leader. And I have started saying, oh, because they're ahead. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. And I keep telling him, oh, that, that's not good. You should pick a team. Got to support them. And, you know, don't be a front runner and stuff. And he's like, uh-huh. So <laughs> this weekend, watching the Brumbies match, he comes in, immediately recognizes the, the Brumbies kit and says, oh, is that the Brumbies? And I said, yeah, it is. And he, he said, oh, uh, well, who are you rooting for in this match? And I said, oh, I'm not really sure. And he said, well, I'm rooting for the Brumbies. And I looked at the score and I said, oh, yeah, because they're they're winning right now. And he said, well, no, because you keep telling me I'm a massive supporter. <laughs> and he tried to do the accent. It was incredible. I mean, obviously, he's at least as good as I am at it. But that made my weekend. What good stuff. He's stupid! He's stupid! People have to know! Ugh, sadly, no, Isa. The news is decidedly not good this week. So, as listeners will certainly know by now, the Highlanders are the team I support in Super Rugby, and they are already 0-4 on the season. That didn't look likely to change. They scheduled match against last year's champs, the Blues, and then on Tuesday I saw this announcement, quote, the Highlanders are likely to field many new players this weekend when they square off against the Blues for a second time in a row, as they continue to recover from a COVID outbreak within their squad, the Highlanders were one of three New Zealand-based Super Rugby Pacific teams alongside the Blues and Crusaders. They were unable to field teams last weekend due to numerous positive cases of the virus within each of their camps. As such, three round five fixtures were postponed last weekend, meaning the Highlanders will now play the Blues in back-to-back matches after having faced them in round four two weeks ago. Assistant coach Clark uh, Dermody, I think it's Dermody, 
revealed on Tuesday that with players slowly returning to training this week, his side will be reliant on the services of non-contracted players from outside the squad for the Blues Clash on Saturday. Quote, we've definitely had to pull our uh, pull guys in. A lot of players in the replacement pool have already been on other teams as well, so they've either been through a preseason or have been in teams for two or three weeks already, Germany said, unquote. Uh, we'll obviously get to that match shortly, but man, oh man, they are a long way off from being runners-up in the Trans-Tasman competition only last year. Oh my gosh. Moving on to the thoughts of the week, and, you know, my thoughts this week, frankly, it's they're still lingering on Scotland and the poor effort they showed during the Six Nations that glowing feeling I, I got to share here with the guys from the This Will Do Nicely podcast after opening weekend, the, the, that win over England, it feels like that was years ago. It's almost like something I imagined entirely. So the BBC, they, they have a Scottish rugby podcast, and one of the hosts, Tom English, I, I know, right? They couldn't have gotten Tom Scotland. Anyway, uh, he took a huge dump on this Scotland team, and, and the more he spoke the more I found myself agreeing with him. So some of the comments were echoed in his column as well. For example, and I'm quoting here, quote, Scotland won three games in each of the six nations of 2020 and 21, but only two this time, and didn't play particularly well in either of them. In 2020, they conceded just five tries. In 2021, it was 10. And in 2022, it was 15. Scotland's penalty count across the five games has gone from 45 to 54 to 61 over those years. Uh, they've they've gone from winning away in Wales, winning at home and away at France and England, running Ireland close on two straight occasions to taking solace from trying hard in adversity that helped create, the, uh, you know, that th they helped create for themselves in the first place. So the progress the last two seasons got halted in Cardiff and has been shunted backwards ever since. To say otherwise is delusional, which is the word among others, that sprang to mind when listening to the reaction of the coach and the captain post-Ireland, unquote. A pretty serious indictment. And, you know, I'm I'm itching to know what happens in the meetings that Coach Townsend has with the board over the future of this team. It feels like changes are afoot. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very glad it's not my job because I honestly wouldn't even know where to begin to start. So moving on to our reviews, and we obviously had a lot to cover this week. Uh, so why don't we start sort of in the time order of the, the things I watched. That brings us to Super Rugby Pacific, of course. And on Friday, Moana Pacifica faced the Hurricanes. You know, as all of you who are listening right now know, I always root for the underdog. So I was very excited for Moana Pacifica to get another crack at getting their first wing. Wing, yes, their first wing. Their first, first win. But it was going to be a tough task on an admittedly up and down uh, Hurricanes team. But my friends... What a match. Hurricanes, they held a seven-point lead with only about five minutes left, but Moana Pacifica were here to fight. And when the Canes got pinged for hands in the ruck, it became a scrum five for the home side. Speed and immense power got Solomone Funaki over the line right by the posts. And boom, their ever-reliable number 10 converted, the tie, uh, converted to tie things up with only two and a half minutes left. Just edge-of-your-seat stuff. It was so good. They put up the graphic explaining the so-called golden point right then, which effectively amounts to a sudden death overtime, as we'd say here in America. But we would have to say, you know, wait and see if it actually got to that. Hurricanes, they looked to threaten with a driving ball deep in opposition territory, but Moana Pacifica got a huge turnover with only seconds left in regulation. 
and we were in fact headed for that extra time, that golden point. Uh, it was some frantic back and forth after that when, oh, oh my word, Moana Pacifica, their 10 put in a grubber from way deep in their own territory, beat everyone to it, put in another, ended up going almost the full length of the field to catch and score his own kick, his own second kick, ending the contest with a huge victory for the first ever win for the new franchise. Just so exciting, so great. A great day for rugby in the Pacific Islands. Incredible, breathless stuff. What a way to start the weekend. Of course, up next was the Rebels facing the Fijian Drua. Rebels, they still didn't win a game in this entire season. They were looking to get revenge against one of the teams they'd already lost to, and by the end, they had actually finally gotten their wish. Rebels led by a large margin. Be sure and tell them Large Marge sent you. <laughs> Sorry, th- th- they led by a large margin most of the way until Fijian Drua. They scored three tries. I'm not, I'm not even kidding. In about six or seven minutes, you could imagine how nervous the Rebels were getting, you know, as the clock was winding down. However, little insurance try of their own. It was effectively out of reach. Some exciting stuff in the final 10 minutes, but the other 70, man, not, not great. 42 to 27 was the final in this one. Rebels have opened their account, as the comms like to say. Moving on, it was... The Western Force versus the Brumbies. My son's a huge supporter, a massive supporter. <laughs> Sorry, I can't help it. Uh, they Brumbies, they came out firing. They looked poised to dominate from the very start. They built a 3-28 a, a to 28 away lead just before 30 minutes had even elapsed. But then Tom Banks got red carded for a dangerous tackle, and with it came a penalty try for the home team, of course, Red cards in Super Rugby are only 20-minute affairs, which I still find a bit goofy. Uh, the, the force, they wasted no time scoring another. And Andy Muirhead from the, for the, the Brumbies, he answered right back. Man, oh man, there's a ton of scoring in this league. It's crazy. Uh, force, they, they replied less than a minute later. Suddenly, it was 24-27 to 27 at halftime. The comms mentioned 51 points is an all-time record. For the first half of any Super Rugby match between two Aussie sides, that is a great stat. And also so specific, it almost renders it meaningless, right? Anyway, early in the second, a slightly careless pass by the Brumbies got picked off, resulting in a length of field uh, try for the force. They had their first lead of the contest. As the red card went away, Brumbies scored another try to go back on top. This one was a seesaw the whole way. In the dying moments, it was 38-39 to with the force getting one last chance to drive down the field as the clock went into the red. Unfortunately for them, they let the Brumbies pinch a line out. That was where it would end. Brumbies are still unbeaten on the year. Really impressive stuff from them. And by the way, <laughs> the number of matches this weekend that I'm going to mention are literally down to the wire after the clock has gone red. It's astounding. Next up, and you know, I had to get to it at some point, I guess. It was the Highlanders at home for the Blues. I, I do have to say, it was so nice. It was so lovely to see fans back at the Forsyth Bar for this one. You know, they really made a meal out of it on the broadcast itself in the pregame. You know, it, it was a perfect day. All the fans poured in with their summer clothes. It just made a, a want-to-be-there picture for me, for sure. It was incredible. Of course... Like we already discussed, the Highlanders were down so many players that they were, uh, you know, 
practically calling me on the phone. They were like, David, any chance you can show up for this weekend? And unfortunately, the answer was no. Good for them and me. Um, we did. Uh, I was told that we'd expect a lot out of somebody coming off the bench, a 19-year-old Dutch player who has sort of been working his way up through the New Zealand ranks. So we'll get to that in a minute. Anyway, for the first half, at least things didn't get entirely out of hand. Though the Blues, you know, they naturally scored right at the end to make it six to eighteen, heading into the locker rooms. And by the way, now that Caleb Clark's hair is back in full flight, so is he. By the way, I honestly actually think there's a connection. Anyway, the lead was up to 14, heading towards the final quarter of play. But Daniel Leonard Brown, the loose head prop, he lumbered over for his fifth ever try in 93 appearances. And with the extras, it was 18 to 25. But, you know, within moments, DeWy, the left winger, he scooped up a perfect Aaron Smith kick out of the air as he blew by a confused looking defender and cruised in. Easily, you know, it, it seemed easy putting Highlanders within just two, but nope, the TMO wiped that one off the board. So anyway, just as predicted, young Holland comes in off the bench, and I was just cracking up. So he's a 19-year-old player, and he was wearing 19, and he's from Holland, and his last name is Holland. Can we call him Captain Obvious, please? Can we call him that from now on? In any event, my boys, they got several great chances to tie it up in the, the waning moments, but they squandered them all in succession. And based on my dire predictions, you know, I guess we were lucky to get away with a seven-point loss. Highlanders, we are still winless this year. And Blues, they're on fire. So next up on the docket was, of course, Chiefs at home for the Crusaders. And you know what? I saved this one because, I mean, it might not be the best match of the weekend, but... I wanted to save at least one exciting one, and uh, so I'm saving that for Monday after the pod's already out. And uh, yeah, sue me. Please don't sue me. Anyway, we had the Reds versus the Waratahs. You know, my first note was I could have sworn they had said Michael Hooper would be back in the Waratahs squad this week, uh, but when he wasn't listed in the 23, I double-checked. I realized he'd returned to training, but isn't planning to actually play until round seven against the Fijian Drew. So there you go. In any event, it looked to be pouring down prior to kickoff but that sort of seemed to clear up by the time things actually got going (sighs) this league man it's still it's amazing to me how many phases teams like to go through you know when you watch a game with like you know i don't know i'll just pick it sail sharks or saracens but then you follow it up with an aussie clash like this one i mean it's basically two different sports it's unbelievable I've said it before, but, you know, it seemed really apparent this weekend there are a lot of times in Super Rugby as well when it's sort of play on uh, despite what would be quickly a red card or a yellow card for a high tackle in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, I feel like that's going to raise its head during Rugby World Cup 2023. It's going to be a thing. I know they've been cross-pollinating the, uh, the refs a little bit, I think they need to step that up. I think it's going to make a big difference otherwise and might, you know, negatively impact the competition overall. Anyway, the Taz, they struck first. Uh, There wasn't much in terms of offensive fireworks for the first 20 minutes or so. Uh, The Reds, they used the power of nominative determinism. They got a red card late in the first half. And Tate McDermott was controversially yellow carded in the dying moments of the first half. I have to say... It's sometimes funny how heated the comms will get arguing about this type of thing. You know, despite the two-man advantage, uh, the Reds held on to a 13-10 lead at the intermission. 
just after 60 minutes, it was 20 to 13 for the Queensland, Queensland side. Whiz bang, they got 12 more points in the next eight minutes. I'm not kidding. 12 points in eight minutes. But when all was said and done, it was 32 to 20 to the Reds. By the way, in yet another, why on earth are they playing that moment? They played, I mean, I have to take a breath here. They played Country Roads by John Denver as the game ended. The West Virginia Reds, guys, is that what you are now? Come on. Okay, my friends, moving on to Major League Rugby on Saturday. Man, man. D.C., they were at home for NOLA. D.C., again, failed to notch a win, dropping one of their best opportunities, frankly, uh, you know, against a struggling New Orleans team. Final score is 22 to 31. Not very good. But then, whoo, this was a, a, a roller coaster for me. Atlanta, they were at home down in Georgia, hosting my Free Jacks on a hot, beautiful night. You know, as I said earlier, it just looked like a, another beautiful day to play some rugby. And the Atlanta crowd, they looked great. You know, really enthusiastic, a lovely park. The Eagle, he got his second consecutive start, which has to speak to Coach Matthews' increasing confidence in him. I loved to see that, and he was really good. Anyway, Atlanta, they would score first and relatively quickly. Uh, but we answered back and, you know, drew things level around the 15-minute mark. The home team clearly had a plan, which was to take advantage of our speedy and aggressive defense by putting in little grubbers, you know, just getting the ball behind us, making us go backwards and force to force us to react that way. And, you know, it had our heads spinning a little bit, but our guys, they're so committed to the way they play, the way they play defense. We were able to recover every time. Um, Atlanta, they had a golden chance to put it into the corner and work their line out deep in Free Jack's territory, but they botched the kick and handed it right back. They kept coming, however, and, you know, we seem to be spending all of our time just pegged deep. But then, boom, little intercept. Mitch Wilson was away the length of the field. Oh, this one was even, you know, even as advertised. And Bowden Walker gave us our first lead of the day. It was 12 uh, to 14 late in the first half. Oh, this was tight, tight, tight. It was great to see that one of the guys from uh, Kid and Play, by the way, was playing fly half for ATL. I can't believe that guy, he just won't age. It's incredible. Anyway, the comps said that uh, Bo Dean is known by his teammates as the Yahina. And for a second, I was like, the Yahina. Is that a, a, a Maori word? Is Am I missing something? Is that an exotic or, you know, exquisite or interesting term that I've never encountered before? No, no, no. He meant to say the hyena. He was saying that Bowden Walker spends all his time laughing, and so his his teammates call him the hyena, but instead he called him the yahina, which I kind of think should stick in a way. Anyway, shocking stat at halftime. The tackle count, oh my gosh. The tackle count was 39 for Atlanta and 105 for my Free Jacks. That's, that just seemed ridiculous. So Dallin Stanford. He was, again, doing a great job on comps. And in case you missed my little tw- uh, little teaser on Twitter, I will be sitting him uh, down with him for a chat this coming Thursday evening. Very excited for that. Anyway, I'm, I'm desperately hoping I can either convince him to tell the other commentators that it's not pronounced Bodine, or, you know, if, if he ends up teaching me that, you know, I've been wrong this whole time, that will still be at least some kind of relief, for sure. Anyway, back to the match. Atlanta, they scored again, not long into the second half. 
I was shocked. The TMO didn't look at what I thought was an obvious forward pass that led to it. That's definitely, you know, a bitter taste in the mouth. 14-point swings like that. You know, they scored just before the end of the half and then again right after the half. That's rough. That's that's New Zealand All Blacks kind of stuff. You know, those are soul crushers. It's hard to bounce back from that. Bowden and Dougie, by the way, they were both taking huge hits all over the field in this one. It, it was tough. Both of them took a while to get up from several tackles. But then, bang, Harry Barlow. He picks up a perfect line off a driving wall, obviously something they had planned and then executed to perfection. Try number 100 for the man they called a wheelbarrow. Not that I'm a fan of that. <laughs> I'm not even sure he likes that. But anyway, the lead was down to three. We then kind of blew a scrum five opportunity. I started to get a little frustrated with the extracurriculars. So the home teams, you know, I don't even, I didn't bother to look up the guy's name. They're sort of slimy looking dude. Uh, he's got the long sort of fake white guy dreadlocks. He looks kind of greasy. Uh, he was basically choking our captain during a mall. And uh, once Josh Larson sort of actually reacted, you know, things kind of blew up a little bit. Um, the ref blew the whistle and said, okay, okay, that's enough. And I swear to God, he said, this is what he said on the broadcast. Okay, I see both teams equally at fault. Therefore, it's a penalty against Red. So once again, Josh Larson gets what would amount in civilian life to assaulted, and uh, somehow it's a penalty against us. So at that point, I was like, why is our skipper a punching bag? Last week, he literally got punched in the face, and the ref was like, eh, there's nothing in it. I mean, I feel like he could be on the ground with the final dagger just sticking out of his torso, and he'd be like, et tu, Brute, and the refs would be like, ah, it's just handbags. <sighs> I don't know. Anyway, down to 14 players. We still had a promising drive. You could hear, by the way, you could hear our fans in their crowd chanting, let's go free, Jacks. It was awesome, guys. Great stuff by our traveling supporters. So good. And anyway, uh, Vanderbank, he whizzed his way in for a, a try to retake the lead. The clock ticked past 70 minutes. Our fourth try meant a bonus point for us, regardless of what else would happen. And then, you know, Malin LaRue got us up to 22. Just a magical kick. It was our ball deep with six minutes left. And then in my notes, all I said was, yes! A massive line-out, a gorgeous driving ball. We looked like the, the Brumbies crashing nine guys over at once and dotting it down. Mitch Wilson, our third kicker of the day, making the extras. We were up 11 with less than five minutes to go. But, you know, you guys, I don't celebrate until the final whistle. So anyway, with just about 120 seconds remaining, there was some confusion about, you know, the, the try area. Dougie Five. He claimed he'd got it down for a try. The officials looked skeptical, and sure enough, no try but a scrum five for Atlanta. I was ecstatic to see the ref call for a reset after that, the, the, the first attempt at the scrum. That means, you know, we got a game-winning turnover right after that, and the clock went dead. Mitch Wilson, he was happy to take a nice breath before delivering one final penalty kick to make the margin even more flattering. Oh my gosh, guys. Defeated the Giants at home. It was 27 to 41. A surprising final score. My friends, the Free Jacks are good.
this year. Such a gritty win this week. You know, I'll be honest, and if you've listened, you know, I had us penciled in for like a 10 or 12 point loss this week. I thought Atlanta were going to be too much. Uh, the way we turned it around was amazing. I'm so happy and impressed with our boys right now. Slade McDowell was once again our player of the match. Dang, I wish he would get back to me about having a chat on this show. If any of you know him, tell him I want to talk to him. It'll be awesome. Anyway, I'm very also, uh, very also pleased to remind you all, the Free Jacks have nine games left. Only two are on the road. Two of the remaining fixtures are against NOLA, who have been a major disappointment this year, I think it's fair to say. We have one against D.C., who are flat-out poor and have no wins. We have to play New Jersey twice more. However, you know, somehow we face... Somehow we have another home and away against them. It's weird. We play them three times. But I guess, you know, that's the rub, really. I guess that's good. And we face the the potentially dangerous, depending on the day, Seawolves. We also face Utah, who are seemingly collapsing right now. And... uh, and then we also face Toronto, you know, again, like I said last week, I don't want to get cocky, but our first season under Coach Matthew, it's going really well. We look really good. I am, you know what, just pleased as punch am I. Moving on, Seattle, they hosted LA, and the champs are looking more and more, you know, like their old selves. They smashed the Seawolves in Seattle, 12-31. to then Utah, they were at home to, to welcome the Thundercats in Houston. They came away with a nice win. It was 12-28. Something is going on with Utah this year. I, I just don't get it. On Sunday, New Jersey were back at home to Toronto, and they lost. They only scored 10 points. It was amazing. I can't believe Toronto won. It was fantastic. It, it, it was amazing. It, it, it changed the league table. It changed everything we're looking at. It was lovely. So, speaking of which... That brings us to our ever so nicely, you know, curated uh, little league table here. So, in the West, we have Austin, we have San Diego, we have uh, Seattle, and somehow or other, Houston, the Thundercats. They're the ones topping out the top four with 23, 21, 21, and 20 points, respectively. They are followed by the champs, LA, Utah, and Dallas on 19, 13, and 4. Here in the East, my oh my gosh reading my notes i'm like really i'm a little worried to say it out loud my beloved new england free jacks we are on top not of just the east but the entire league with 28 points with rugby atl and rugby new jersey at 26 and 25 then we see toronto and new orleans at 19 and 16 and of course in a microcosm of politics in america at this moment we had the district of columbia Utterly floundering, grasping onto their single point of the year. Ugly. Okay, that brings us to the Premiership for the weekend. And on Friday, Gloucester versus Worcester had been the only Friday fixture scheduled, but multiplicitous health issues. They have conspired to cancel this game very, very late. I didn't even see it announced until mid-morning on Friday. So, you know, I was a bit disappointed to be sure. On the other hand, Gave me two hours back that I wouldn't have had this weekend, and it was a long weekend. Anyway, on Saturday, it was Bath versus Sale. I was praying it wouldn't rain. You know, when it does, that stadium quickly becomes like, uh, I mean, well, the name of the city itself. Wait, wait, wait. 
Is that two incidents of nominative determinism in one episode along with an upcoming palindromic score alert? Oh my gosh. It has been a nerdy red letter week. Needless to say, I was hugely relieved to see fans wearing sunglasses in the bright sunshine as this one got underway. It looked like a beautiful day in Bath. I was looking forward to seeing if Nathan Hughes could keep up his nice, nice run that he's been on the last few games. Oops, shouldn't have written that because as soon as I did, he got himself yellow carded like five minutes in. Oh boy. Anyway, Sale. They seemed a bit ragtag on the day. Uh, they got a yellow card of their own with Bath ahead 14-7 just before the break with the ref, uh, the ref threatening more to come. He was really on top of them. Somehow, they slowly regained their composure and found themselves back on top 21-24 to with under 10 to play. Danny Cipriani, who I had forgotten, was a lefty. He tied it up with just a couple minutes on the clock. Guys, the most boring commentator in human history pointed out an, an, an oddity. It was actually a good one, but oh my God, if you watch this game, please, somebody get in touch. Let me know who this guy is. He needs to be removed from the equation entirely. His commentary was like, well, uh, they're, they, they've been working really hard and uh, they they go out there and they, they try to score tries, but it doesn't always work. And I'm doing a flattering job of what he said. Anyway, uh, by the way, he did say, you know, as I alluded to, he said something, one good thing, which was, if this match would then end in a draw, Sale would come away with a bonus point while Bath would not, just based on the try scored. So, you know, obviously I hadn't even thought of that. That was a good little point, really good thing. But anyway, meanwhile, into the red, the ref seemed just baffled and confused and unsure, but somehow awarded a scrum penalty to Sale anyway. They drove down, they got another penalty. Faf is ready to win it just to the left of the post. An easy kick, but no. No, he whiffed it big time. He looked a little crushed afterwards. The, the, to be fair, the commentators are like, oh, he's on the ground. He's, he, he's absolutely devastated. No, he was stretching out his hamstring. He clearly was a little sore and a little tired. Anyway, it was a 24-point draw in the end. Okay, moving on and trying to speed this up a little bit. <laughs> so London Irish, they were at home for the Northampton Saints. I have no idea what has happened to London Irish or the London Irish of a few weeks ago. They looked so good. You know, they got completely smashed by an incredibly inconsistent Saints team. Uh, they showed some grit late, but, you know, they still fell by 20, 22 to 42 at home this time. I have no idea what's up with them. Speaking of I have no idea, Saracens were at home for Bristol, and, you know, we had an incredible ending. Bristol, they were thinking they scored a game-winning try with the clock gone red, but even as it was happening, I was shocked to see that it was even awarded initially as it came off a pretty obvious forward pass, and sure enough, the officials eventually got it right and picked it up. Saracens, they squeaked out with a, a win. It was 27-23. Meh, who cares? Uh, Owen Farrell was back. I had a, a like a, I don't know, 0.6 second moment of, oh, Owen Farrell's back. And I kind of felt good. And then I went, oh, yeah, it's Owen Farrell. So anyway, then we had a good one. So <laughs> Wasps, they were at home for Newcastle. Somehow, 
I decided this one was going to be an absolute snooze fest. So I didn't even tune in until maybe the final 15 minutes and discovered that it was anything but with the score knotted at 24 apiece. Oops, my mistake. Um, so Wasps, they got a go-ahead kick with only a couple minutes remaining. And as the clock expired, they were still driving and looking to, to sort of steal back the losing bonus point. But they, they, they coughed it up in the end. Winning at home, 27 to 14. The comms, they mentioned uh, they're looking ahead to qualifying. <laughs> they, they were talking about the playoffs and then saying maybe they're looking ahead to qualifying for the Heineken Cup next year. And at that point, my brain basically just turned to goo and simply poured out of my own ears. Uh, on Sunday, it was a good one. Exeter at home for Leicester. This one looked incredibly juicy on paper, so I saved it for my second to last, as I've already told you, didn't watch the Crusaders yet. I mean, this is probably a better game, too, now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, darn. Uh, the comms pointed out that the Tigers have only lost three times this year and all away matches. I hadn't really fully grokked that yet. I, that That's really impressive. So that's how they'd start this one. Very impressive. Looking completely dominant over the Chiefs, who admittedly were without, were without Hoggy and Marler, among others. But, I mean, <laughs> Exeter, they, they just couldn't get out of their own way. They committed penalties. I'm, I'm not even kidding here. They committed penalties at the 4, 5, 6, 9, and 13-minute marks. <laughs> All of that before a quarter hour had elapsed. Are you kidding me? In my notes, I, ju I just wrote the word, yikes. Of course, you know, it was only a five-point game, so I felt sure that Exeter would settle themselves down. And then, I was going to, you know, I was going to mention how incredibly annoying it is that the fans still feel okay about doing their idiotic tomahawk chant thingy. Like, at this point, you know, though... Oy vey already. I, I can't. Anyway, Austin Healy. Oh, this is such good stuff. Austin Healy on, on, on comms, who I now fully admit I absolutely love. He gave us a uh, quote. Kelly was running back. He looked like he was in treacle, unquote. I loved that little bit. And it was soon followed by uh, the touchline never misses a tackle, which is a I feel like every coach should have that in their bag to, to tell the new players. He was on fire, man. <laughs> Next up, in response to the comment, Nemanja Nadalo faces a one-on-one, uh, a fancies a one-on-one -on -one matchup with Josh Hodge. He said, "I think he fancies a one-on-one -on -one with anything. You know, tractor, bulldozer, you name it." <laughs> I, I think I basically have to stop noting all these zingers, or I'm just never ever going to finish this show. Anywho. Very bad sign for Lester, with George Ford having to leave the field with an ankle injury. I very much hope it's just a dinger, not an actual serious injury of any kind. Points were at a premium in this one, though, and despite everything we've just been talking about, it was only uh, nil to 12 going to the locker room at the halftime. With 10 minutes to play, Tigers were still up. It was now 7-22. to 22. It was really hard to see Exeter coming back, but if I got paid by the number of times that phrase has been utilized, well, I don't know the hourly rate or anything, but I would have more money than I do now. So the Chiefs, they did threaten. They got it to 17 to 22 very late, but with 30 seconds remaining. Even I was skeptical as they got on with their final drive from deep. Sure enough, a huge roar went up as the visiting side put it away. First in the competition, officially qualifying for the playoffs. That's big stuff. 
And speaking of which, it's time we did a little, uh, you know, a little league table update. And this season, you know, I have to admit, it's a little deeper and farther into the later stages of this season than I had actually noticed, to be fair. So as things stand, man, oh man, it's tight in the middle. But the aforementioned Leicester Tigers, they're still comfortably on top like by a lot. They have 80 points. As I've mentioned here, Saracens have quietly crept their way back up and are second with 68. The only other team, even in the 60s, uh, is Harlequins with 63, after which it's Exeter on 57. After that, the league table does something I loathe, which is putting asterisks uh, asterisks, uh, next to things without actually putting the asterisks uh, at the bottom of the page. You can't footnote something and not give us a footnote, people. Asterisks don't mean that. Please learn what you're doing. Anyway, sorry. Um, anyway, it's a massive knot from five to eight. Sale, Gloucester, Northampton, and London Irish are all pulling in at 55, 54, and the last two at 53. Just an absolute log jam for sure. The bottom five, they're Wasps on 48 and still within, you know, I would say a reasonable striking distance, especially after this weekend. Somehow followed by Bristol and Worcester on 36 and 30. And finally, Newcastle and Bath tied for worst at 27 points. Man, oh man, what happened to our expectations mutually of, of Newcastle this year? I don't even get it. So moving over to the URC. So Friday, it was Lions versus Ospreys. A match that was seemingly filmed on, on uh, I don't know, VHS. It was like somebody had a Panasonic Handycam, that's how we got to watch it. You know, I think it might be time to take the word ultimate out of the league name. Guys, what happened? It's like I was watching on my son's Magnadoodle or something. Like, anyway, I had so much more written to complain about the URC and, and their website and, and their coverage. It's so bad. But I'm about growing the game, not shrinking the game. So let's just not talk about it. In any event, watch I did, and after three quarters of play, Lions, they were up now 28 to 10 before both sides would exchange tries once again. It got a, a bit out of hand after that. When the final whistle went, Lions had tripled up Ospreys 45 to 15. Gosh, just an ongoing and spiraling mess for the Welsh teams. And, and let me take a, a quick moment aside here. So, for, so far this season, here is the tale of woe for the teams representing the Welsh and South African squads, or the Welsh teams in general, I should say. So round four, it was the South Africans' first win ever. Stormers prevailing against Dragons. No games were played in South Africa before that, by the way. Round five was when the insanity began around the spread of Omicron. Remember that, everybody? Uh, seems a simpler time. Anyway, Russia weren't trying to suppress, you know, they were only trying to suppress COVID issues rather than a neighboring sovereign nation at that point. In quote-unquote round six, fixtures not made up until this very month, Sharks beat Scarlets and Lions beat Cardiff. In the so-called round seven, Bulls destroyed Cardiff by 30, uh, uh, sorry, Scarlets by 35 points, while Stormers, they trounced Cardiff by 37. Then this weekend, Lions obliterated the Ospreys, and the Bulls were eager, eagerly awaiting an opportunity to smash the Dragons, which they did. It is... <clears throat> Things are not good in Wales. 
Anyway, I'm honestly surprised I'm not hearing, you know, and seeing more sort of weeping and gnashing of teeth from fans. Am I the only one completely in shock over the omni-shambles that we're seeing in the great and proud nation of Wales? Come on, my lord. They had actually achieved number one in the world status. I mean, it was just brief, but it was right there just before the 2019 World Cup. Then Six Nations win, and now... I mean, has there ever been a more precipitous and demoralizing drop-off? It's unbelievable. Okay, and then as it was referenced earlier, there was palindromic score alert. Munster, they really came to play for this one against Benetton. They came away with <clears throat> yet another massive total. It was 51-15 to 15 on the day. So many 50-pointers for them this year. It's crazy. On Saturday, Stormers were at home versus Ulster. They were in Cape Town. It was a gorgeous day for some rugby. Oh, it was, you know, apart from the game itself, it was just beautiful to behold. Um, the Stormers, they scored and converted two tries within just the first eight minutes. But Ulster, they found their groove after that, and they were only down seven at halftime. Just before the three-quarter mark, they pulled within three, and in the final two minutes, it appeared they'd taken their first lead of the day. But again, wow, so many recurring themes. It was overturned after an excruciating TMO session. It must have taken, I don't know, 17 hours. Anyway, Stormers, they botched a critical lineout, giving Ulster a last shot of the clock in the red, but forced a turnover to end things. It was 23 to 20 in what amounted for a, a, an exciting game, I guess. Anyway, it was Zebra versus Scarlet after this one. Heading into this one, you had to think. I mean, you had to think. Zebra were fired up. It's one of the only matchups where it seems possible to get a good result, but man, they were quickly and completely overwhelmed. With Scarlets leading three to twenty-nine after fifteen minutes, Zebra weren't done though. Fair, fair play to them. They got their first try to get to ten, then quickly scored again. Suddenly find themselves down just twelve points, but you know. That sort of woke up the visitors a bit, I guess. They got a couple more tries of their own to make it 17-41 to 41 with maybe eight minutes left. Zebra would add a respectability try shortly thereafter, but, you know, all told, Scarlets, they got a nice away win. It was 24-41 to 41 in the end. After that, it was, it was Sharks versus Edinburgh. Uh, this is another game where the footage looked like someone had you know, started by filming it on VHS, then recorded, you know, a viewing of that videotape on a phone, then sort of emailing that file in half size format for us to watch. It was, it was a joke. I realized, you know, at one point I just couldn't keep watching. So I'll skip to the end and let you know, Edinburgh, they did manage a convincing win against Sia Khaleesi and his crew. Always kind of sad to see that man among men lose. See uh, Khaleesi, I mean, you always want the guy to win, right? Uh, the, the final score, after adjusting the the tracking on my VCR, was 5-21. To finish off the URC, we had Bulls at home versus Dragons. Bulls, they won easily. 55-20. to I mean, another skunking. My, my notes simply read the word, yuck. Then, ugh, my guys, as you know, I support Connacht. 
Connacht were at home versus Leinster. All you needed to know about this one was it was 8-7 going into halftime. At, I think, 55 minutes, it was 8-7. And then by 60 minutes, it was 8-45. to 45. You know, th- this season, it's over for my Connacht boys. I gather them in. Anyway, Cardiff, the, the you know, arguably most pathetic team in the entire league. They were at home for Glasgow. It should have been a huge win for Glasgow. Glasgow, they found a way to completely crap themselves on live television. They lost 32 to 28. And I think that score was probably flattering to them. It was not a good showing. Anyway, quick league table update. As you know, Leinster and Ulster, they're still one and two with 55 and 50 points. Uh, league points, of course, I'm talking about. Munster and Glasgow swapped places. Munster going ahead by 47 to 45. Edinburgh, they stayed in fifth place, but Stormers overtook Sharks for sixth place with uh, 43 and 38 points apiece. The seventh and eighth spots were also occupied by South African teams with Bulls and Sharks at 37 and 36. And that would round out our playoff teams if the season ended right today. The have nots, of course, in descending order. Our Ospreys, six points behind Sharks, then Connacht, Scarlets, Lions, Cardiff, Benetton, Dragons, and of course, hapless Zebrae, who are still winless on the year. Pretty congested right there on the cusp of the top eight. I suspect a lot more movement before this season is actually finally done. Oh, my friends, new category this week. Oh, I'm excited. The Women's Six Nations kicked off this weekend. I was pleasantly surprised to see that Flow Rugby is carrying it. You know, I got to say, I literally looked it up. I, I searched online and said, where can I watch it? And every answer was BBC iPlayer, BBC Online, BBC this, BBC that. And, you know, I've got a lot of experience with this, and I know that the BBC are not having us watching their stuff. Like, if they sense you in the, you're in the United States, nope. It, nope, out of bounds, not for you. No mention of Flow at all. So all credit to Flow for once doing something right. I was so glad to be able to watch some of these games. Uh, but, of course, <laughs> as I say that, in a truly painful one, Scotland, they got absolutely hammered by England. It was 5-57. to 57. So it's my general expectation that this is the type of result we can expect from the English side. Their program is just way ahead at this point. You know, after 15 minutes, it was only two tries to one in favor of the visitors, but in the end, Scotland had no more scoring in them, while the English ran in nine tries in all, including a hat-trick from Marley Parker. On Sunday, France smashed Italy, leading 17 at the half, but much like the Scots, the Italians couldn't get a single point more after that, while the French ran away with it 39-6 by the final horn, Both teams had two penalty kicks, but the difference was definitely the five tries for France, two of which came with only five minutes left. Ouch. Uh, Beatrice Rigoni getting her uh, 50th cap was incredible for Italy, but they, they couldn't turn those opportunities into points ever. The best one, though, this weekend, you guys, by a wide margin, it was Ireland versus Wales. The Irish, they jumped out ahead and boasted a 14-5 advantage at the break. But the Welsh, they roared back in the second half, scoring 22 points to Ireland's five, 
Wales came away victorious on the road, 19-27. Donna Rose scored twice off the bench and was instrumental in the fantastic comeback. Really exciting match. I can't wait for this competition to move on, except for the English thing. Okay, my friends, as always, that brings us to our Diamond in the Rock. And this week, I'm going with somebody, you know, I I have to admit, I wasn't even aware of him until he absolutely blew my mind on Friday. Manasa Mataele, a winger for the Western Force in Australia, he got a brace against the league-leading Brumbies, and man, oh man, I, I can't even begin to describe how good he was, you know, though obviously I will try. Mataele got those two tries, but both were utterly spectacular to behold. The man clearly has every single skill a top rugby player needs. He showed footwork, very subtle for a man of his size, sneaking you know, in between defenders before absolutely shattering the opposition with devastating fends. And when he had a few inches of space, boom, it was time to show off the pace. And he was flat out uncatchable. Every single time he touched the ball, something exciting happened. And I'm not even exaggerating. He was jaw-dropping stuff all day, although his team would fall in the end. He almost single-handedly kept them alive. This one might have been over really early, if not for his superhuman efforts and abilities. Manasa Mataele, my new friend, a heart friend, congratulations to you on an amazing day. For you are the winner of this week's incredibly prestigious Diamond in the Rock Award. Enjoy it, and all the accolades that will follow, well-deserved. Thank you for letting all of us watch you play rugby. Great job. Okay, my friends, it's getting late. Got to get to our previews. In Major League Rugby, on April Fool's Day, Utah will be at home for Seattle. On Saturday, Toronto will face Atlanta at home. Then, guys, once again, my beloved Free Jacks, they'll be back home here at Fort Quincy. They'll be taking on NOLA. What a day that will be. It's a rugby festival every time we play. Oh my gosh, things are so good for our Free Jacks right now. On Sunday, New Jersey, they will look to bounce back against D.C. I'm guessing that'll be an easy task for them. L.A. will face Dallas, you know. Then another Texas Derby with Austin facing Houston. Over in the URC on Friday, the Sharks will take on the Dragons. Glasgow will take on Zebra. Gee, I wonder who will win that. Uh, Saturday, Benetton will face Connacht in a game that my guys have a chance of winning. Uh, Bulls will face Ulster. Lions will face Edinburgh. Stormers will be at home in South Africa to face the Ospreys. Munster will face Leinster. That's a good one. Wow. Can't wait for that one. And then, finally, for some reason, Scarlets will face Cardiff in a game technically somebody probably will win. Anyway, moving on to the Premiership on Friday. It will be Sale at home for Saracens. On Saturday, it will be Exeter versus Bath, Gloucester versus Wasps, Northampton versus Bristol. The Worcester Warriors will be taking on the Newcastle Falcons. Uh, that, I mean, that's kind of a, a battle of the, the bottom, but that seems kind of appealing to me. Anyway, on Sunday, London Irish will be taking on the Harlequins. 
Whew, that should be a butt-kicking, but I guess we'll see which London Irish show up, won't we? It's a very strange season for them. And finally, of course, my friends in Super Rugby Pacific, you know, somewhat brutally, they've scheduled a midweek game to have Moana Pacifica play a postponed match versus the Blues. It's hard to see either team feeling 100% after playing four days earlier. But anyway, on the weekend, it'll be Crusaders versus the Highlanders. Oh, God. Why? Why? Anyway, uh, the Fijian Drua, they will be playing the Waratahs on Saturday. The Blues will play Moana Pacifica again. Uh, the Reds will play the Brumbies. For the record, that means the Blues and Moana Pacifica both play on March 25th, March 29th, and April 2nd. So I guess my only question is, who's in charge of bringing the stretchers and the IVs? Like, oh my gosh. Also, of course... The Women's Six Nations, next week, France, they'll be at home to face Ireland. Wales will host Scotland and Italy. They'll be looking for a serious hiding, welcoming the powerhouse England uh, to Parma. That's going to be a, a really rough one, but so much good rugby coming up next weekend. <laughs> Oh, well, my friends, that does it for another week. You know, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for everything you do as listeners. It's just, it's always incredible and it's smashing to hear from you. As always, if you want to get in touch, I strongly encourage you to do so. I'm on Twitter. I'm at of Scrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on Instagram. You can always just send me an email, too, via the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. And please, my friends, if you can bring yourself to drop me a nice review, that would please me to no end and would really help me grow the pod, which I could really use right now. So if you like what we're doing here, there's also at least one way you can sort of show your support in the show notes listed, as always. So my friends, thank you for coming along. To all of you all over the globe, cheers, talk to you soon, and be well. It gives me great pleasure to be here today. Oh, it does, neat.